Welcome to Flame of the West podcast, a podcast about hobbying in Middle Earth. My name is Charles, and in this episode, we have with us Mr. Young Duke. <laughs> How are you doing today? I'm doing good, bro. I love the so, intro. <laughs> so, if you're not in the Instagram community, Young Duke is he is known for his Moria. And now, most recently, his denizens of Mirkwood. And he's here today to talk to us about his passion for this spider army. <laughs> I don't know what to say to that. But yeah, uh, Charles said it. I have gone through... Uh, I'm on my third mark of the denizens of Mirkwood. Uh, what I mean by marks is like a full army. So I have completed two 800-point dark denizen armies. And technically, my old Moria army, um, if you guys are aware, I played Moria for a year. I had a lot of Venom bags and a lot of spiders. So like a pseudo pre-Dark Denizens full force. And I guess Charles will go more into detail, but I'll go a quick overview. So Mark 1, or let's start why I did Denizens, right? So I did Denizens because I was a bit tired of playing Moria. But I love the little creatures in the army. So I decided, looking through the Hobbit book, I realized, you know, Dark Denizens is a unique army, and I don't see enough of it. So I did some research, and I hope I offend no one listening to this podcast. But it was alarming, to say the least, that the Denizen armies I managed to see online or through various Facebooks were not to par or not what... <laughs> Not what I would picture a Denizen's army, as in people were using toy dollar toy spiders. They were painting with random contrast, where I believe one army I saw, and I, if you're listening to this, no offense, but it was contrasted in rainbow colors. And I'm thinking, this is not, <laughs> this is not Denizen's of Mirkwood. So I went off to hunt down, I guess, aesthetically pleasing spiders, because me and Charles have been talking for many days about the dark denizens and why I've done it. And I truly believe the GW cast and models are not good. I know many people do like them, and I did collect them, and I've painted them, I've converted them. So I, I know what they look like, I know the appeal of them, but personally, uh, they don't feel like they represent the artwork um, Charles graciously sent me the Fall of the Necromancer campaign book. It's like 2008 or I don't know how long ago. 2006, I think. Oh, it's it's much really, older. really old. Yeah. These old supplements that Games Workshop used to make. If you're a hobbyist, if you're looking for inspiration, I definitely recommend picking them up. A lot of them can be found for cheap on the trade groups or on eBay because the stat lines and the rules in there are no longer relevant just because they are sold. But there's plenty of terrain guides and painting guides and uh, artwork and lore that you don't find in army books and supplements today. Games Workshop kind of did things differently back then, and there's a lot more inspiration that you can find in the content. So definitely still worth picking up if you want just some ideas for your projects. Yeah, so once he sent it to me, I was engrossed by the... The artwork was gorgeous. It showed these very uh, like spawn-like spiders, but not exactly like spiders. The fluff was amazing. It was captivating. 
So when I look at the GW spiders, they're very duck-like and very, very blockish, very strange. They're all flat on the ground and um, static, right? Yeah, very static. And the fine cast ones are garbage too. The poses, the legs are going everywhere. And so I set off to show people that you can make a dark denizen armies. That's still cheap. That's the biggest point too. The price for the denizens for GW at the moment are expensive because out of production or when they get re-released it's going to be easily over six hundred dollars at the way they price things now so i just want to say that i probably enjoy the games workshop models slightly more than you i'll agree with you that they are a little bit strange but i do like how their limbs are kind of all spread out and and you can easily like twist and bend them into different poses I don't think they're that bad. Definitely have seen worse ones. But yeah, considering like how convertible they seem to be, I don't see people bending the limbs and posing them all that much, surprisingly, given how versatile those models seem to be. Yeah. So it's true. Uh, I did bend a lot of my legs. and we can. So that's the only benefit of the GW spiders, or the pewter is easy to bend. Uh, so you can technically repose them, but even so, they're not that much further off the ground. And Charles knows this. I love spiders. I have watched so many videos and research about them. Spiders are not flat on the ground. Now, some spiders are, but the typical one, when they're walking, they're off the ground. It's like a, spy, a real-life spider. Spiders are your spirit animal. <laughs> thank you, thank you. So, so yeah, the GW ones aren't bad. I've collected them, I've painted them, I've converted them. But money-wise, and for the, the price you're paying, it's not worth it, in my humble opinion. So I set off for the first Denizens to find a different company that could produce spiders to a very good level for a decent price. And I'm going to shout them out. Otherworld Miniatures is a company, I believe, in the UK. And for $18 US or $20, you get three amazing giant spiders. They sell a Merkwood Spider for $15. So I think my Mark I army was about $350, which is still great considering I bought 18 Fell Wargs, I bought 18 Giant Spiders, four Merkwood Spiders, and the last miniature, the Queen, was a $17 miniature on Reaper. And Charles was with me the whole process. I heavily converted her. Did some throwbacks, matching the the official GW one with like the ass having the little broodlings coming out. So that army was great, and it is on the GBHL. If you look up my name, um, you'll find the first version where I made the bases very grim dark, where there were corpses everywhere. I sculpted all the trees, and I made the army very very dark um, to fit the Merkwood theme. And I had a blast with them. They were great, uh, fantastic. But eventually I moved on to Mark II because Mark I, for me personally, I did it in 10 days. So it felt rushed. Um, corners were cut and the painting wasn't, in my opinion, it was tabletop or a little bit below. I know Charles yeah. will laugh, but for me, I didn't enjoy it too much. And the army was very heavy, like weight-wise with that much pewter. All metal, right? Yeah, besides the fellow wargs, right? If I remember right, you decided to like build your Mark II because of an event you were you're going to, right? Because yeah. at that point you didn't have your Mark One anymore. Yeah, so I guess I did take a break from the Middle Earth community for a bit to enjoy 
you know, I just finished college recently. So I was hanging out with my college friends who are leaving, hang out with my brothers, uh, spend time with my girlfriend. So a lot of things, you know, working now too. So I was balancing all of that. And I think, truth be told, I want to see more creativity in SBG. So I took a break because Charles knows on the Instagram, we don't have too much, uh, too many converters. Um, you know, Charles is probably, in my opinion, one of the biggest inspirations on the IG. So like for me personally, it, it was a bit demoralizing. But I came back due to uh, my friend Mike Parker, Tom Clucci, and Charles. Like these three guys kept me a little bit still in SBG even after my break. And like Charles just mentioned, my good friend Mike Parker, he ran a an event that's like Nova. Just due to COVID, we didn't have the big typical Nova event. And I had not played SBG in four months, didn't do anything. And I had sold my Denizens Army Mark One, and he said, you Duke, you know, you should play the game. And I decided I only had about 10 days before the event uh, to think of an army. And I said, you know what? I need an army that's quick and easy and low body count. Denizens Mark Two, And this army was to improve upon Mark One in both tactical and hobby-wise. So this is a hobby podcast, so I won't go into too much tactics, but I did change the list greatly to fit the meta, fit gameplay, but also the hobby side. So Mark I was, in a way, taking GW medals and replacing them, but Mark II was, let me get an actual aesthetically pleasing army. Because Mark I, I think some of the spiders, even though gorgeous sculpts, they are a bit more on the fantasy goofy side. Like some of the faces, facial structures seem more like the spiders from Peter Jackson's Hobbit film. But Mark II, again, it's on the GBHL. Just look up Young Duke and you'll see the, the denizens. Mark II was pretty much taking real-life spiders, or more of a realistic approach to them. And that army, I think, is, at the moment, still my pride and joy. Because in 10 days, again, on a time frame, I had to make a whole army and a display board and kind of re-envision how spiders should look like. Um, ten so, days. Yeah, ten, ten days. days. <laughs> That's Charles, insane. Most people can't even write a list in ten days. <laughs> I gotta give Charles mad credit because he was there for many sleepless nights where we both hobbied and painted. So I'm just uh, shocked at just the amount of like dedication you have to this one army because you're working on the third one now, and it's like. I would say the majority of hobbyists, after they finish an army, they don't go back to it. They move on to the next army, you know, and um, not only did you do it a second time, but now you're doing it a third time. What is it about the army, like, let, let's say, lore-wise, that attracts you to them? Because they don't have, it's kind of like a faceless army, right? They don't really have a name yeah. character, and they don't have that many, like, troop choices. So what is it? Is it something in the books that make you really love this army, or is it something that you enjoy, just the composition, or what is it? Yeah, so I've had a long, in-depth discussion with a few other friends, but so I guess I'll answer the first question, why I'm so dedicated. If y'all know me, I played Moria for one year exclusively. I sculpted so many models. That's just me. Um, I don't like settling for less. So if I know one army is, I guess, lacking in one aspect, I will continue to make a new one to, to keep honing the, I guess, hobby skill, or my vision is the better term. So that answers question one, why I keep going to it. Uh, number two is, I think Charles is right. It is a faceless army, but that's where I slightly disagree. Because when I see spiders now, people are saying, you know, 
it's one spider queen and Merkwood, they're real life spiders. But we have a long rant a few days ago, maybe a week ago, about, I guess, just Middle Earth itself, where, you know, Shield's mother, pardon my pronunciation, but Ungolian or whatever she's Ungolian? called. Ungolian? Yeah. yeah, Ungolian. So I guess reading and researching about her, how she's from the void and she's spider-like, and then Shelob in the actual book has tusks, has claws at the end of her feet, has a weird abdomen that's putrid and swollen. So that is not a spider. It says spider-like. So for me, I took that from Mark 3 where everyone keeps portraying, even I'm guilty of it, my Mark 2 was more to a real-life spider. But if you read Tolkien's fluff, and of course, you know, you're all Tolkien lovers. They're not technically real spiders. They just take the attributes of spiders. It's the best way of describing them is a spider. So my Mark three is I found a small blurb of fluff where there's one spider called Taller the Hunter. He's one of the three spider lords in Mirkwood. So if I'm taking this piece of fluff and I'm running with it where I'm going to bring actual lore and backstory into this new Mark III. And if you follow my IG, you'll see the new spawns I'm making where the spiders are very grotesque, very cancerous, very putrid. It's like they're taking more of the attributes from Shelob and Ungolian more than like the typical spider queen because the GW model, it's very grotesque too. It's not an actual spider. It looks more like a tick spider cricket, you know, hybrid. So my new Mark III is taking this concept of Ungolian Shelob, who are these creatures from the void, and making them very grotesque. The game, the spiders have terror. I know at my local GW and some events, people do say, oh, a giant spider wouldn't scare me. And when you look at the GW spiders and some other ones, they are a bit friendly and cute looking. Like that doesn't invoke fear. So Mark III, I'm trying to make them as grotesque and freaky. So if you were to battle this creature, you'd be like, "Yo, that's pretty scary looking. I don't want to. I don't want to fight that guy." So. Yeah, yeah, and I guess you've also been working on like your own versions of the bats and the wargs too, right? Mm-hmm. I think the Games Workshop models are fine, but I guess you've uh, also modified them to match your spiders. Yeah. So people know my Mark One. Um, I use the generic GW Fell wargs. Personally, for me, I think they are good sculpts, like Charles said. However, based off the stat line, they don't feel like they portray the one-wound defense for model because the Felworks are actually pretty goddamn big. Like They're massive models. They are, in my opinion, they're on the scale of Warhammer Fantasy. They're very heroic scaled to the rather historical scale of Lord of the Rings. And for me, it's egregious to pay $35 for six sculpts that are kind of very lacking detail and the kind of monopose, even the head swaps. So for Mark II, I only had one warg, but it's it's more like a fox, I guess, or my friend Mike calls it a bear. But I'm trying to showcase people that there are many cheaper alternatives to the GW fell warg because it is expensive um, to buy 18 of them. That's over a hundred bucks and i think for a model that isn't that strong not that detailed in the sprue it seems a bit too much because for six regular wards you pay 18 dollars and 35 cents but for six fell wards you're paying 35 dollars you're paying double um spiders in general are 
are better in the list, uh, even though warps yeah. give you the numbers. So you naturally gravitate towards you know, focusing on the spider models. Yeah, so I guess we'll go a little bit in tactics. But yeah, if you play Denizens, uh, I've played now close to 50 games of them, pure no allies. There's no need for the wargs, personally, because the spiders are the heart and soul of the army. Uh, while the wargs have low courage, one wound, low fight, they're not worth it. So that's why it makes hobbying easier, because you can easily find a single wolf model, or maybe a couple of them, for a fraction of the cost from the GW ones. And for the bat swarms too, the GW one is atrocious. That thing is a huge chunk of pewter that will chip and fall everywhere. Um, you can find so many cheaper alternatives from Reaper miniatures or even the new plastic ones GW released. Those are better alternatives to what we have access to now. The Age of Sigmar ones, right? Yeah. So what made you switch from Moria to Denizens? Oh, wait, you already answered that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I can explain a little bit, too, a, a more in-depth, right? So I, I did switch because after playing a year, you get tired. Uh, my first model I painted to start Moria was Ashrak, the old man goblin with the spiders on him, right? And Charles was laughing because he believed that's the, the stem of my spider addiction because I actually gravitated towards the Venombacks and the spiders in Moria more than the goblins. So I actually believe deep down I've always been a spider boy. <laughs> and, <laughs> I was just confused for one year in Goblin Town or Moria, so. Got it, got it. So, Spider's the the new thing. <laughs> How'd you come up with the different kind of paint schemes? Because I noticed that for, um, like, your Mark 1, your Mark 2 look really different, and then they also look really different compared to the Spiders from your Moria army. Yeah, so I guess Mark 1... I came in blind where, again, not insulting, on the GBHL, there was no inspiration. Um, people had rainbow-colored spiders or very strange, abstract ones. I mean, I love alternate color schemes, but if they're poorly done and they look like a rainbow, then that one, I, I draw a line where, like, okay, you're just wasting time. You could have just done a black wash. So for Mark 1, I wanted to invoke Mirkwood. I guess my perception back then, a couple months ago, was Mirkwood's a dying forest. So I went the route of, let me go for that darker scheme you see on the official GW art for the Finecast Mirkwood Spiders, but add a little bit of nuanced colors where, um, if you've seen it, it has a little bit of blue in the crevices. There's some poppy colors, but it's very muted, very dark. And a lot of people enjoyed that, actually. You know, a lot of people were a fan of that army. But for me personally, at events, when tables might have more muted colors, the army does blend in, which I, I guess is good because in the camouflaged critters, but for like painting and visually looking at it, it's boring. So Mark II, I decided, you know what, let's go for a real life spider. I forgot the name of it, but it's a real spider. I believe located in the UK, it has a very doomble brown reddish thorax, but the legs are this beautiful like iridescent orange brown, yellowy hue, and on the abdomen, it has a goddamn skull. That, that's so metal and so badass. I, I want to do that. So I went with the actual scheme, but I painted the freehand markings in the helmet of the necromancer as a small nod to, you know, Dolgoldur, because they used to belong to that faction before they separated. Um, so that army was more rooted in realism. And this forest base was different, where Mark I was very sickly and dead. 
it was dead black trees autumn leaves and bones everywhere and like no no grass mark two was it was a bit sickly but more had just dead brown trees and a luscious forest technically luscious but i threw some shades on it this army i really wanted to focus on quote-unquote realism where the spiders had a realistic color scheme going through a more healthier forest because looking back at Merkwood, it's still a forest whether it's dying or not it should be lush you just have a more muted color scheme and mark three me and charles are still talking because you know charles is a great painter so i get a lot of advice from him or at least we have ideas going back and forth this army is up in the air where i have a few schemes that i won't reveal yet but yeah it's i'm excited to do it just still deciding what to <laughs> what to make with it so okay yeah i like how you you learn something from each time that you do this army and you kind of like try to do like a different version, maybe a different timeline or a different area of Mirkwood. Mm-hmm. I looked at the a map of Middle Earth the other day and I'm, I didn't realize how big Mirkwood was. It's it's literally, it's like as big as Mordor. It's huge. Huge, <laughs> huge. By far the largest forest in Middle Earth. So it would make sense that different parts of Mirkwood would look different. So, you know, even though they're completely different spiders, you can kind of imagine them existing at the same time, <laughs> yeah. like different tribes of spiders. Yeah, Charles is the one who actually mentioned, like, he would love to see all my marks next to each other. Because like he just said, you know, I'm a big spider fanatic. I do so much research about them. I just love them. Like, conceptually, they're awesome animals. But, like, many spiders do co-inhabit together, and they do fight. And after reading the book that Charles sent me, The Fall of the Necromancer, it described, you know, there's there's all these small dozens of skirmishes, hundreds of orcs and spiders and elves fighting. So for me, like, they wouldn't be one kind of spider. There'd be a handful of different, you know, different broods of spiders. I'm taking that and running with it. So I got to thank Charles a lot. He, he provides a lot of good feedback to my, my denizen addiction right now. So he's actually supporting it. So, <laughs> Well, it's hard not to be a, a fan of your work. So if, if the listeners haven't seen Young Duke's work, be sure to check out his posts on the Great British Hobbit League on Facebook or on his Instagram, Kim's Painting Corner. All these army projects you'll be able to find on his account. And you'll kind of know what we're talking about and just... Not only does he have pictures of his painted spiders, also there are pictures of his green stuff work, so you know how much time and how much effort has gone into modifying them. Yeah. Uh, and, <laughs> and you just see like hundreds of hours of work before your eyes. I guess continuing on this, um, the topic of conversions, how do you make the spiders look exciting when in the army there's literally only the giant spider, the Merkwood spider, the fell works, and the bats? Like, only a few profiles, right? When you look at like a man, an orc, an elf army, they usually have a lot more variety of weapons and heroes yep. and stuff. Like, how do you make your army look unique from each other and, and not make it look monoposed? So there are a few ways I've done that. Um, Mark one, I'm blessed or not blessed. I had a large mix of the wolves and the spiders, so I broke up the poses. Actually, Mark 1 was a big lesson because I didn't convert many of the basic troops, so they were stock poses. So Mark 2, that's where I guess advice comes in. Find cheaper and alternative miniatures because the Reaper spiders I used allowed me to chop a lot of their legs and get very different poses. And so Mark 3, 
all the spiders are being hand sculpted, which is why Charles says it's insanity. I think it's insane too. But personally, for me, this Mark III army has to be very unique and very, like, striking looking. But for the regular average player, I would recommend basing is key. Because a spider model, depending on the basing, one pose can easily get four to five poses. Where if you have a, a fallen tree trunk, now he's crawling over it. If you have it leaning to the left, he's crawling on it. If you have it on the back of the base, he's crawling down from it. If you have no tree trunks, he's just flat on the base. So for Denizen players, if you're interested in the army, I recommend have fun with basing. This army, your basic troops on a 40 millimeter base, that is substantially large. Even if you don't use alternative miniatures, let's say you use the Games Workshop official miniatures, there is no excuse to, to glue it straight to a base and throw sterling mud or sand. Because that just diminishes all the flexibility you have for the army. The more you put love in the basing, the more you enhance the spider looks. Because again, one pose with a good basing technique can get four to five different looks from one spider model. When you start spending some of the legs, yeah, it, exactly. suddenly it looks like two dozen poses. I would say, I, again, going to the Facebook group uh, for the GBHL, if you compare my Mark 1 to Mark 2, you can definitely see a difference in the posing and in the whole look. And the other part I was going to mention was basing is number one, key to that as an army. Again, you're in a forest. A generic forest alone has so many different angles to go at it. So you, the, the sky is a limit for basing. Number two is painting. I personally, again, do not like when people just do a very, like my Mark 1 is guilty of it. It was a very dark, bland scheme. Thankfully, I put freehand. Freehand is the key to a denizen army. Spires have such a large free space. The thoraxes, the abdomens, they have so much free space, the free canvas. And compared to other armies, they're relatively flat. It's not like a banner, there's no folds, it's a flat canvas. Mark II looks more striking because all the freehand I did on their on the backs makes the army look very unique on the table because most spider players, again, they just do a dry brush or like a basic like hourglass freehand, like a Black Widow. But if you have a little bit of creativity and make like a striking one, that sets your army apart from any other army you've seen on the table. At the event, actually, my army got a lot of attention because it's a very unique army with a unique basing style, unique painting, and the freehand. Yeah, it's incredible how like different each spider looks from each other. I mean, even with your first two armies, when you weren't scratch sculpting them and they were just had different bases or this one might have some of their legs bent and then they just look completely different. And when you have like, what, 30 spiders in each army, that's yeah, it's, it's a big difference. <laughs> I think to this day, I have officially painted close to 80 to 90 spiders. And after Mark 3, it's going to go past the 100 mark. So it's crazy. <laughs> Too many. So can you talk a little bit about Mark 3? I know that you're currently working on it, so not all your ideas have been finalized. But yeah. uh, what is the reason that you're doing an army for the third time? <laughs> One reason is a bit not petty, but for certain events, you will need official GW miniatures. And Charles knows this. My two previous armies are all non-GW. So I could help my followers and spread the word of how to get this army at a very cheap cost. So Mark III, I'm making it legally so I can play at some Games Workshop or at certain events. 
and it is legal, and Charles gave me a lot of hassle for it. I hunted down 25 Warhammer Quest Giant Spiders from 1995. They are legal GW, and they comprise the bulk of the army. Initially, Mark III was a joke army where I was going to just use the stock models and put them on the proper base sizes and laugh as they are now legal to play, whether you like it or not, this this is legal. But when I got the models and I looked at them more and more, uh, I think the green stuff in me really had an itch to like convert and, uh, <laughs> and just make it my own. So the, the past two armies, I have conversions more in Mark II than Mark One, but if you know me, that's not my style. I like to convert the whole army. So when I got the Warhammer Quest Spiders, I thought, wow, these are a beautiful canvas to convert. And thanks to Charles again, when he sent me the Fall of the Necromancer book, there is a beautiful piece of art where you see high elves fighting for their lives against a swarm of these giant spiders. And the proportions of them are more realistic, more akin to the Warhammer Quest Spiders more than the official GW. So I took this concept where they look like abominations in the artwork. Like the abdomens are very strange. They're very gangly and sickly looking. So the, it turned from a joke into an actual serious army where now I'm inspired to make Mark III have a whole background of fluff, make them terrifying, make them unique. And again, it's legal GW. Um, so I can play at events now. So I have one army that I can play anywhere, and I have another army that for certain events I can take to it. I think one thing that you've learned from this army is that you're just incapable of being lazy, you know? <laughs> like you, were, you were just going to glue the Warhammer Crest Fighters onto the base, and you're like, nope, I'm going to sculpt this whole thing. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it is very tedious. I think each spider easily has about 20 hours of sculpting per little spider. Because you're only using the GW part of the face, right? Everything else is green stuff. Yeah, so again, if you check over my IG, you'll see the work in progress. But I'm using the Warhammer Quest Spiders more so for their faces and the legs. Everything else is like an armature for my green stuff work to shine. And it's grueling, but looking at the models, for me personally, I'm very excited. I know some people may not like this look. Uh, I'm just doing this for a very different take on the, the Dark Denizens because even though I strive for Mark II to have realistic spiders, I did realize, you know, old artwork from Shelob and Ungoliant, they have such unique features like tusk, these spines, very unusual looks. So for me, I wanted a Dark Denizen army that is very unique. And again, it's to inspire people to have fun with the army. Rather than just going for stock spiders, you could also convert and just create little abominations that you, you just enjoy. My mind is wavering a bit. Some days I want to quit because I'm sculpting too much, but other days I'm I'm really into it. So, I mean, the thought of sculpting one model from scratch makes me have like anxiety and <laughs> and I don't <laughs> and I don't even know if I could do that in like a day but you're sculpting like 30 40 spiders at once <laughs> so, so yeah it is it's it's a a real hassle there's an event actually coming up on uh, the 16th of october so <laughs> i'm gonna give myself about a little bit over two weeks to get this army done again so i think 
every denizen's army have been done in about two weeks <laughs> so mark three has a bit more probably three weeks so that's just that's that's just insane to think about <laughs> <laughs> you know young duke is in eastern united states and if you're kind of in that close to that area and you're able to travel to events um you just might see one of his armies on the table uh, (laughs) they're awesome to look at and uh i have to say that you know your goal seems to be to like inspire people to convert and not just go with stock models not just for denizens but just in general right because you previously you mentioned that when you look on instagram you wish you saw more creativity more people who didn't just paint up the standard games workshop poses yeah i don't want to make some flack on certain people but personally for me um i came back i came from an aos 40k and BattleTech and other game systems where there's a lot of conversions a lot of creativity and personally for me it does feel like mesvg is a little bit stagnant uh where conversions come from i do know there are people who do convert uh, on the ig but it feels not enough and the conversions a large majority i know we have some great converters like our good mutual friend evans great sculptor such fantastic ideas there's so many more but a large majority just do a simple head swaps or they prefer the stock model and for me personally i'm a little bit tired of just different painted armies and like a simple head swap i think this universe is such in-depth and lore so rich but at the same time it allows a lot of flexibility personally for me i don't like seeing a similar moria army a thousand different times hence why i converted so many goblins same thing for denizens you know i know with the recent post on games workshop where they showcase the denizens there's a there's a peak interest again but for me i would like people to be a little bit creative and have fun, make the army yours, make it more personal. I think that's the defining factor in, in why I do this stuff is coming from Age of Sigmar, you could tell people are putting a love and passion to armies. But in Lord of the Rings, more people are doing the safe side. And there's a little bit of gatekeeping in this community. There's no denying it. But again, I think these small steps will help more people want to convert. Because I've gotten many messages from people saying, you know, I I love the idea you did. I'm going to try my own hand. So for me, I'm over the moon that there are more sculpting attempts now on the IG. I I personally stay more on IG than Facebook. Um, And I think Charles can attest to it, too. There's a small spike of of more converting and more sculpting going on. Um, And I'm very pleased to see that. So that's the biggest reason why I do all this stuff. You mentioned Evan earlier. He uh, actually uh, was on this podcast a couple months ago, and we talked about conversions. And he, you know, he likes to use various bits that he's collected mm-hmm. over the years and kind of convert as many models as he can as army. And I really like that. I know Evan uses a lot of third-party bits too, but even if you don't go to third-party bits, like personally, I use mostly Games Workshop parts. Yep. It's still a 20-year-old game. There's still so many models to choose from to convert from. You could still convert what Games Workshop has in, in the yep. range. I mean, it's a shameless plug, but my Mortar Army, they are all GW miniatures, and I just kept bashing and sculpted them. Because again, 
I see a thousand mortar armies, and I would prefer to see again a bit more creativity, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I know this is a denizens podcast, but a quick thing again is the Black Numenorians. People do a simple head swap. You have a great template from the Wars of the Dead. I know sculpting levels vary, but again, the whole yeah. point is the hobby sculpting and and converting and painting. It's all skills that take time and practice. Like, I'm not joking. Probably two years ago, I was a terrible sculptor. My first major sculpting attempt was the Watcher in the Water, my my Mark I. And I sculpted him drunk on soju for eight hours. And then from from there forward, I just kept sculpting and sculpting. So for me, to any new hobbyist or people who are scared of sculpting, dive into it. Grab some plastic warrior goblins or any model that comes in abundance and just practice sculpting because it really is such a huge part of the hobby. And it's literally, for me, it's therapeutic. I know for a few of my followers, they've been sculpting a lot more and they love it. Whether they fail or not, that's part of the journey is to honestly practice, fail, and then move on. I've destroyed countless models with my sculpting, but I just kept going on and on until I'm at a happy stage. And I'm still... I still think I'm an amateur sculptor, but I just love to keep practicing. It's fun, you know? Yeah. If you were to give, like, one tip to beginners who want to learn how to sculpt, where would you start? Sculpting has been a really difficult part for me, uh, even to this day. Uh, I'm going to give, like, three semi-tips, I guess. Number one is, the biggest one, I think, honestly, is don't be afraid to fail. I know I said that just now, but that, honestly, is one of the biggest... If I had to give one tip, don't be afraid to fail because that's there's no shame in it. I, I, I will p- proudly post my first few green stuff attempts. They are atrocious looking. That's the point. Don't let it discourage you because even for painting, I know we have many good painters now, but I'm sure everyone started somewhere for painting. So it's the same thing, you know. Second tip would be have reference photos. I don't know how many times I stress this to all the DMs I get. But reference photos are not cheating. If you want to know how to sculpt, let's say, a cape or a fur, have a reference photo so when you're sculpting, you can look and have a guide. The biggest mistake I see from beginners and where I started too was you kind of have a conception and you try sculpting it in your mind. That's good, but it's like drawing too. You can envision it. It does not translate to paper. But having that photo, that reference, you can always look up like, okay, I have to sculpt at this angle now, put the depression deeper there, get the armor smoother there. So reference photos, they're huge, huge help for sculpting. And then last step, honestly, patience and silicone tips tools. Patience should be a given. Don't rush your sculpting. Like Charles knows this. Every time we hang out, I'm sculpting easily for four to five hours on maybe up to maximum six months at a time. And that's because they're spiders, they're easy to do. But my goblin characters, it's like one whole hobby session for one dude. Patience sometimes not even a full dude. <laughs> it's happened to. Yeah, because like sometimes you, you're working on armor or like this guy's cloth and stuff or yeah. like a shield and it takes longer. Yeah, so patience is key, key. Um, don't rush it. It's just like painting, you know. Enjoy it and take your time. There's no time pressure. No one's telling you to you know rush this out. Just enjoy it. And then the silicone tips, silicone tips tools are a must-have. I know metal tools, I swear by them too, 
metal tools are better for sculpting armor where you need sharp stripped edges silicone tip tools allow for the smoother blends natural folds all of that i know there are better green stuffers on ig like a modern synthesis for hydra and raffle stomp um and you can see it they use silicone tip ones they use that there's so many tips so if you don't have a silicone tip tool just go to amazon they're up to 10 bucks for a set of five and then just have fun with it um so those are the biggest tips i can give there are a lot more nuanced ones but for a beginner don't be afraid to fail have reference photos and then proper tools and patience are the three biggest tips i can give right now i think recently you held a sculpting competition and i i learned a lot through it from sculpting a warmer conversion i did and i followed some of the tips you gave me and really like just the idea of having the reference and photo in front of you is so important because if you're just trying to imagine in your head that's like an extra thing on your mind instead of focusing on what you're sculpting and mm-hmm. i think being able to compare a model with an image that a movie still of Bormir. it was him uh, carrying a pile of wood at Amon Hen, and it's a lot to go off of if you're just going from memory and so having that photo in front of me i was able to see like where each stick was in his hand. I don't think it would have turned out nearly as good without the reference photo. It helped it so much. But I'd still say that sculpting is the most difficult part of the hobby for me. But for the sake of varying up my models and doing some crazy dioramas, I want to get better at it. I want to get the advanced techniques down. I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, you follow him on IG. If you don't, you're just silly and dumb. But Charles makes some epic stuff. I don't know. <laughs> this man claims he can't sculpt. Look at his dioramas and tell me. Tell me he can't sculpt. It's a joke. Thanks, man. Well, that kind of has been the end of my uh, questions for you. Is there anything else that you, you think that you want to work on besides spiders coming on? Just like as a quick preview for like fans. So I'm being, I mean, there's a few projects. Um, there will be probably a Mark II motor on the way where, again, a lot of conversion and sculpting. There is, I'm being semi-pressured, but I'm myself and slightly intrigued to do a good army. I'm known to only play evil, so I'm very excited to maybe get my toes wet for an either elf army or, shame to say it, a dwarf army, which even wow. I, I hate dwarves, but I, I've i seen a lot of great conversions. I have some ideas on my mind that cropped up. But yeah, honestly, a lot more armies I can think of doing. The biggest one that I am excited about is the Necromancer army, based off the old fluff I read. I have a lot of ideas for that one, because if you haven't read The Fall of the Necromancer, that little campaign book, try to find it, read it. Great art, great stories. You will read it in 15 minutes stops, because you're so into the story. Okay, can't wait to see all of those projects, especially the good army. (laughs) <laughs> just just seeing you paint up good models it's just like or sculpt good models that'd be crazy interesting oh my god well again young duke is uh instagram handle is kim's painting corner go check out his work especially his denizens of mirkwood thanks for uh coming on to talk to me about your army it's of course it's, it's fantastic and i can't wait to <laughs> see mark three completed <laughs> thank you so much Cheryl. all right have a good one guys and look forward to the next episode of flame of the west podcast Bye, guys.